Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's driving the conversation in California today? Every weekday at this time, we explore a topic that's making news in our state. This is the state of California. And good afternoon. I'm Doug Sovereign, KCBS political reporter and host of the state of California, along with Patty Rising and Jeff Bell. Governor Newsom's plan to shake up the legal system to help address chronic homelessness continues to move through the state legislature. The governor's care court proposal was approved by another assembly committee and is now one step closer to his desk for signature. The legislation still needs a yes vote from the full assembly, but passage there seems highly likely. Only one senator or assembly member has voted no in the various committee hearings, but that one negative vote is more significant than it might seem because it reflects some grave misgivings about the governor's idea from civil libertarians, disabled rights advocates, and providers of mental health and substance abuse services, among others. That no vote came from State Assembly Member Ash Kolra, a Democrat from San Jose, and he's our guest today on the KCBS Ring Central Newsline. So you stand alone at the moment in voting against the governor's care court plan. Why did you vote no? Well, I want to start by commending the governor. The governor has done tremendous work, and I've seen it in San Jose in my district in terms of getting resources um, to build uh, transitional housing, supportive housing, uh, and, and a lot of that is working. Now, with the care court, I also commend the intentions of, of what the governor is trying to do. I think a lot of people are fed up uh, when it comes to the issue of our unhoused community, and there are definitely a lot of folks that have mental health issues. I don't think this is the right solution to create a whole new system uh, that's going to take a lot of resources and ultimately have the ability to take one self-determination away as to whether they're going to seek treatment or not, because I don't think that's a successful route for someone to be successful in treatment, uh, with my experience having worked for many, many years in drug treatment court and mental health courts. How concerned are you about you know the potentially coercive nature of this, people being forced into treatment against their will? It does concern me, especially because if you look at the support and opposition positions, uh, a lot of those that oppose, including the counties and direct care providers, are the ones providing the services on the ground. A lot; uh, th- those are a lot of people that oppose. Those that supported include a lot of the cities. Now, and I get that because the cities want their streets clear. They don't want homeless on their streets. Totally get that. But I think we need to listen to those providing the care as to why they find this particular proposal problematic. And a big reason why is that when it comes to addiction, when it comes to mental health in particular, which is this, this is focused on mental health, uh, not um, not addictions uh, strictly, um, you, you have to have a participant that is in a position to be successful. And I don't think, first of all, if someone's unhoused, they're going to be successful. This bill does not Although it prioritizes, it does not guarantee housing for someone in the program. And secondly, we have to remember that many of the people on the street that are suffering through trauma have that trauma in, in, in much part because of the experiences they've had with the court system, with law enforcement. So putting them in that environment is not conducive for, the, for, an, for a successful outcome. 
You know, one of the biggest concerns raised uh, by various critics, including the Legislative Analyst Office, is that there you know, aren't enough housing slots and care providers and, and guardian providers, etc., uh, to accommodate the demand this law is likely to create. So in some sense, is the state putting the cart before the horse by requiring something that it doesn't have the funding or, or resources to provide yet? I, I agree with that sentiment. I think what it does, it sets up individuals for failure because it's going to be very difficult for them to be successful in a care court program about housing. We don't have enough housing. And then ultimately, if someone's unsuccessful and doesn't have um, the, the meaningful improvements to their state, their, their mental health state, then that sets them up for a conservatorship, which is really um, you know, taking individuals' rights away. And I think that what we need to do instead is focus on the programs that are working, that are getting people into, into treatment, getting people into housing. There are social workers on the ground. You know, these social worker organizations oppose the bill, uh, not because they don't believe with the ultimate goal, but it's because they're on the ground and they recognize they have the best opportunity to gain the trust of those going through mental health trauma to then have them voluntarily go through treatment rather than just clearing folks off the street that may have mental health issues that ultimately don't get the help they need. So you clearly you're not the only one with misgivings about this measure, but all of your colleagues uh, have been voting yes anyway, and there seems to be a sense of, well, we have to do something, this is better than nothing. What do you say to that? It seems like this is going to pass. I, I totally get it because, look, we're all frustrated. We're all upset. We're angry. We see that we are the fifth largest economy in the world and we have thousands on the street. So I don't blame any of my colleagues or the governor for that matter for putting this forward. And it's, it's, a, it's a, one of the governor's priorities. And as a legislature, we are an independent body, but we like to support um, our, our governor uh, on his big initiatives because his heart is in the right place. But ultimately, I looked at the policy and I've, I've been on the ground. I worked as a public defender for 11 years. I, I am looking at how it's going to be implemented on the ground and whether we have a better use of those resources to help supplement what's already happening at the local and county level to already uh, to, to build more housing, to have more access to mental health treatment. I, I think that's a better route to find ways to help supplement what's happening because there are a lot of service providers and a lot of affordable housing and transitional housing developers and, and those uh, counties and other entities that are begging for more help in terms of resources. We've got the resources. Let's put it into the right places. Have you communicated these concerns to the governor? Has there been any reaction from his office to them? There, there has been some communication with his staff, and to his staff's credit, even after my vote, um, Dr. Gali and, and others from uh, his staff have um, offered to sit down and have further conversations, and I really appreciate that, because ultimately, if this is going to get passed, um, let's make it um, let's have it set up for success. As, and I even said that during the hearing, I want it to be successful. I just have misgivings about taking someone and, and forcing them into treatment. I know that it seems like the, the, it can be at times a compassionate thing to do, but will it lead to, to a successful program? And again, at the expense of other programs and other measures that are happening that have shown to be successful, but just need extra support from us. We could talk about this much longer, but I'm afraid we're yeah. out of time. Thank you so much for being with us. Ash Kolra, Assemblyman from San Jose. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. And remember, you can hear the State of California every weekday at 3.30 p.m. It's also available on the Odyssey app. And wherever you get your podcasts, you can find me on Twitter at Sovereign Nation. But before I go for today, Jeff, we need to say 
goodbye, or at least farewell for now, I guess. Uh, oh, you know, man. I've lost count of, of how many years we've worked together. Maybe you know. I don't know. It's I, many. I do. We met back in 1992, Doug. You were one of the very wow. first people I met at KCBS when I stepped in as a weekend anchor, and I was overwhelmed by the place. And I remember you making me feel so welcome back then, and you've always been supportive of my work ever since, and I appreciate that. Well, that's very sweet. So it's 30 years. I, I didn't even know Isn't it was that crazy? many. I'm tired of you now, though. It's time for you to go. No, but well, it's be really there. been, Jeff, I mean, really just an honor and a privilege um, for me to call you a colleague and a friend. And we've shared our interest in politics for many years. You covered the Capitol for us for a while in Sacramento. And, but, but really, it's all these years as our afternoon anchor, of course, uh, that you're going to be remembered for most at KCBS. And afternoons will not be the same without, without your dulcet tones and unflappable calm. Uh, you know, no matter what story is breaking. I mean, you're really one of the voices that has defined KCBS for so long. We will all miss you. You know how much I admire and respect you. And um, I just wish you nothing but the best, Jeff, and your your extraordinary advocacy work and your writing and your breezy afternoons on the water. I just hope there's nothing but clear sailing ahead for you. Oh, man, I sure appreciate all that. And thanks for letting me be a part of State of California. This has been so much fun for how long have we been doing this now? Well, I think started the pandemic. It's about two and a half years now. Wow. Does that sound right? It's you know, early segment. 2020. You, yeah. you bring something to it every single day, something new. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jeff, and uh, congratulations, my friend, and, and enjoy what lays ahead. Thank you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.